All right. Well, good evening. Um, like Sean mentioned, my name is Alan. I'm pastor here at Praxis. Uh, I do hope to be able to meet you all in person soon in the near future if I haven't had the pleasure of doing so. But it is still a privilege, a blessing to be able to gather as God's people and study his word. Uh, so welcome to another night of Praxis. I'm just glad that you would take the time to participate and fellowship as we congregate under the teaching of God's word. As a fellowship group, we have been uh, looking at a very short sermon series entitled um, Snapshots of Jesus for the Christian Life. And it's just a simple desire that as we uh, are exposed to Christ, who he is, his life and ministry, it would endear our hearts to him that uh, naturally all the right actions would follow as we immerse ourselves in a rich understanding of the gospel. And so last week, to kick off the series, we looked at the need of every soul, forgiveness. And uh, we studied the passage uh, about the paralytic and how this lame man, though he has crippled legs and desires to walk, Jesus actually presses him further to consider the state of his soul. And what he needs most of all is not a healthy body, um, but a right heart, a forgiveness from uh, his Lord. And so tonight we're going to continue uh, kind of that train of thought. And we're going to realize that not only do we need forgiveness from God, it's not merely just transactional, like, okay, now that we're forgiven and we're made right with God, then we can just carry on with our lives without a second thought of him. No, but the natural byproduct is once we acknowledge and understand just the magnitude of the gospel of what Christ has done on the cross for us, uh, it will be our reflex to desire to follow him. And so in very much the same way, we, we start at the gospel again, but tonight we're going to be focusing on a different emphasis. Uh, we'll be looking at the heart of discipleship, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so let me go ahead and pray for our time, and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we ask for your grace now. Oh Lord, we pray that your word would pierce through all the distractions, all the things that can preoccupy our minds. Oh Lord, that most of all, you would pierce our hearts, leave us undone, unravel us of misconceptions we have about what it means to be a Christian that you might build us up and root and anchor us in the good news of Christ, that in appreciation of who you are and what Christ has sacrificed on the cross, it would be our joy, uh, our distinct privilege to be a follower of our Lord and Savior, that we would obey him because we entrust our very lives to him. And so teach us now, Lord, we pray for humility, we pray for insight, that your word would um, be active and living, that you would illumine our minds to not only understand, but to acknowledge uh, your word as true, right, and good. And so, Lord, we pray for your help now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but uh, I personally find blindness quite fascinating. Uh, there's something about it that has always piqued my interest, my curiosity. 
Maybe it's because I can't fathom how it would be like to live without seeing. Maybe it's because I'm more of a visual person. Or maybe it's because I have such big eyes, I just don't get it. You know, if you're laughing at me, that's okay. I can't hear you over Zoom. But I've always been intrigued by blindness. Blindness. You know, what would the typical day be for a blind person? How would you put on your clothes? You know, what's it like to rely so much on someone else or to be constantly exercising your other senses? You know, could you ever run in a marathon? Could you drive a car? Could you cook your own food? What is it like to have eyes but not see? I remember watching this interview uh, where they asked a blind person to kind of describe that, uh, that I guess, uh, disability. Uh, to the best of uh, this blind person, what, could they communicate their experience of being blind. And the best way he could kind of convey his day-to-day -day life was uh, he asked the interviewer if the tip of his thumb could perceive anything, if it could see anything, if it could function as an eye. And obviously the interviewer was confused because, well, it doesn't make sense, right? There's no sensory input. There's no way to begin seeing with your thumb. And the blind person responded, well, being blind is kind of like that. Now, maybe that still leaves us confused. And while we may never be able to fully grasp what it's like to be blind, if anything, it makes us realize how important sight is. We use it to identify people or objects, to make decisions, whether it's choosing our outfit of the day or which foods we're going to consume. Outside of sleeping, we don't go a day, an hour, a second without really using our eyes. To one extent, we can live freely and independently because our vision is intact. But one truth is certain for the blind. The blind must rely on others. The blind follow others, if you will, because they can't make it completely on their own. And there's a passage in scripture that reminds us of our blindness. Maybe not our physical sight, but of our spiritual condition. In one sense, we are all blind and in need of following another. In need of help. Tonight we'll be in Mark chapter 10 and the simple story of Bartimaeus. And more than just the story about Bartimaeus, it directs us to Jesus who he is, why he is worthy of our obedience, what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. And so turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. And I'll go ahead and read our passage for tonight. Mark chapter 10, beginning verse 46. This is the word of God. And they, Jesus and his disciples, came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now our story picks up late in Jesus' ministry when, as in verse 46, they came to Jericho. So Jesus is nearing the end of his earthly time, and he is set now. His face is fixed upon going to the cross. He's making his way towards Jerusalem. And in order to get there, Jesus and his disciples have to travel through the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho was this beautiful city, about 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It sat at the base of the Judean mountains, the last pit stop before a trek through the mountains and into Jerusalem. And what you have is scores and crowds of Jewish people from all over making the same journey. Why? Because it's Passover, Passover, to participate in this major holiday. And Passover was a big deal. It was one of the three national feasts where all Jews were required to voyage to Jerusalem to celebrate this sacred holiday. Now, we aren't told what Jesus did in Jericho. Mark simply records that Jesus and his crew, well, they're on their way out. And it's here, this is the setting in which we are introduced to a character named Bartimaeus. Right, verse 46 says, they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus enters the scene. This blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. There was probably a bunch of beggars gathering outside Jericho city gates because it was the perfect time to make a killing. Again, everyone was traveling for the Passover celebration. So the foot traffic must have been insane. Before all the Jewish people, again, could cram into Jerusalem, they would bottleneck through Jericho. And Bartimaeus, he's no fool. He's a clever little beggar. And so we can imagine his excitement and his plan. He wakes up, maybe an extra early this day, giddy at the opportunity to hit the jackpot. And so he runs down by the roadside to claim a prime spot. And after finding a nice patch of dirt, he lays his cloak on the ground and sits on it in hopes of catching the glance and more importantly, catching the alms, the monetary donations of others. And so the wait begins. Now you got to picture this, you got to see Bartimaeus. Here's this man, kicked to the curb, a blind beggar. Bartimaeus has two strikes against him. One, he's blind, and two, maybe even subsequently, he's poor. And blind beggars were to be the most pitied. First, as beggars, they were considered nobodies, hassles, the, the leftovers of humanity. They didn't contribute to society. They were takers. 
like leeches, mere pests surviving off others. And so no one really cares about a parasite. In addition, there was another tragedy, blindness, blindness. They were unable to see, incapable of beholding the beauty of the world. From these majestic purple mountaintops behind Jericho to even the mundane brown dirt at their feet. Everything to them was pitch black, if you will. Bartimaeus was a prisoner in night. And here he stoops low to the ground, symbolic for how shallow his pockets are. Blind Bartimaeus, at the very bottom of the social totem pole, relying on others to show mercy just to get by from day to day. But that, that all changes today. There's a slow stampede and dust is kicked up towards Bartimaeus into his raggedy clothes, perhaps intruding his mouth, his nostril. And this commotion is larger than normal. Clearly something big is going down. And so Bartimaeus inquires, you know, hey, what's going on? What's all this fuss and ruckus? And someone blurts out, it's Jesus, Jesus, the Nazareth. Bartimaeus is informed that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by this great urban legend. His reputation precedes him. Stories have circulated about Jesus, creating buzz throughout all regions of Palestine. Here is the one who walks on water. Here's the one who feeds thousands. Here's the one who casts out demons. Here's the one who heals the lame. Bartimaeus' heart thumps and throbs. Might he be the one to grant me sight? Look at verse 47. And when he heard, Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, steeping in the dirt, Bartimaeus understands two things. One, he understands the reality of his blindness. There is no denying it, that he is a person of great need. And two, he understands that his Savior is near. He gets it. If anyone, if anyone has the authority to make him well, it's Jesus. So Bartimaeus cries out. This word for cry out is the same word used to describe the moans of a woman in labor or the wailings of those that are mentally unstable. So this is dramatic. This is painful shrieking. It's the unrestrained hollering of those that are losing their minds. You have to hear him. Can you pick up on the anguish coursing through his words? That Barmaeus howls, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that's interesting. Did you notice his words? Bartimaeus cries out, not for Jesus of Nazareth, not for a man from the village of Nazareth. No, he knows his Old Testament. Bartimaeus cries out for Jesus, the son of David. 
the title of a messianic king, a promised savior of God's chosen and anointed one. You see, Bartimaeus doesn't call out for man. He cries out for God. And no one else in the gospel of Mark calls Jesus the son of David. It only comes from the lips of poor blind Bartimaeus. Praxis, the irony is this. The blind see what the seen can't. The blind see what the seen are blind to. Here you have the Jews traveling to celebrate the Passover, but they can't see the Passover lamb of God in their midst, right before them. But it's the blind beggar whose eyes penetrate through to Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, Lord of lords and kings of kings. Bartimaeus pleads for mercy because only the son of David, only the son of God can grant mercy. And curious enough, before Jesus, Bartimaeus doesn't beg for money, for food, for justice, but for mercy, which prompts us to examine, to reflect. Who do you cry out for and why? Do you cry to God or to a man? What is your conception of Jesus Christ? I mean, that alone will shape and influence your willingness and how you follow. Do you realize who Jesus is? Do you beg for mercy? And you know what astonishes me about the text? No response. Jesus ignores Bartimaeus. He acts as if he's blind to the blind. And I'm sure Jesus heard Bartimaeus. Everyone in the crowd heard him. But Jesus keeps walking. Why? Because he wants to bring Bartimaeus to the end of himself. And Jesus does the same with us, right? Sometimes he'll ignore us and break us so that we are painfully aware of our desperation, of our utter poverty, of our absolute need of him. No one, no one pursues Jesus without first being utterly devastated. You know, in my time in ministry, I've had people approach and come up to me and ask why God would allow such and such difficulty or trial in their life. You know, why God would permit the lack of a job offer or uh, allow a death to fall upon a loved one. And sometimes people are just bitter. Right? Sometimes these people are just wanting to pin the blame on God as a way to excuse their anger, their rebellion, or disbelief. But other times, other times, people are genuinely just undone, broken. And look, I don't have all the answers to these various scenarios. I don't know why God suddenly places certain tragedies or hardships in our lives. But I know this, when he does, we give him our attention. And coronavirus, racial unrest, economical uncertainty, political turmoil, hasn't it all tuned our hearts towards him, raised our gaze? 
We think more about life when we're confronted with our demise, with our death. We think more about our Savior, our God, when we are gripped and shattered by our helplessness, by our need, our depravity. Just look at how Bartimaeus is treated in this passage, the difficulties he endures. Jesus ignores him. And it says in verse 48, and many, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. The crowd is cold enough to rebuke Bartimaeus. Those who follow Jesus, those we might label as disciples of Christ, they turn to the sobs of a pitiful blind beggar only to tell him, take a seat and zip your mouth. But Bartimaeus will not. Bartimaeus cannot. The crowd admonishes him. Bartimaeus, shut up. And I love this. It's almost as if Bartimaeus responds, no, you shut up. The cries of desperation can't be hushed. The cries of the desperate can't be silenced. And so he groans all the more. Bartimaeus shouts at the top of his lungs. Because when you come to the end of yourself, when you are truly needy, you cannot stop until that need is met. Beloved, have you felt that kind of desperation, that kind of distress? This is his one shot. There's no time for hesitation. The son of David is passing him by. So Barmaeus hollers all the more a second time in verse 48. Son of David, have mercy on me. It's the persistent cry of the desperate. It's when you're done. You've run out of respect, resources, and they're left with nothing. You are faced with your utter need of a savior. And you can trace this throughout Jesus' ministry. You can hear the echoes of this urgent plea. It's the cry of the leper. If you will, you can make me clean. The cry of the bleeding woman, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. The cry of Jairus for his dying daughter, come, lay your hands on him so that she may be made well and live. The cry of the father of the boy with a tormented spirit, I believe, help my unbelief. It is where despair meets faith. The cry for mercy, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And in verse 49, Jesus comes finally to a halt. He stands still, and the feet of the crowd come to a rest. And all conversations are reduced to nervous murmurs. And Jesus is the first to speak. Call him. How simple and yet how profound. That the attention of God is given to the one rebuked and silenced by the world. Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And we'll continue by reading on in verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he, Bartimaeus, sprang up and came to Jesus. Just as urgent and strong as his cry, Bartimaeus throws his cloak out of the way and springs for Jesus. 
all that Bartimaeus owns, all that he identifies with, all that he's ever known and probably cherished is immediately tossed away. The comfort of the cloak cast aside for the comfort of Christ. Are you there? You have to hear the clinking of the coins dropping from the cloak. You have to see blind Bartimaeus scrambling to his feet, flailing, waving his arms, feeling and maneuvering his way through the crowd until he plops and stumbles before Jesus. Now listen to the words of Jesus in verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? And it's baffling. It's kind of like what we heard last week with the paralytic. Barnabas, what do you want me to do for you? And as readers, we're shocked. Are you for real, Jesus? This is a no-brainer. He's blind. He wants his sight. What is Jesus doing here? I'm sure Jesus knew the answer, just like we do. But he wants Bartimaeus to articulate it himself. He wants Bartimaeus to confess so that he makes the connection to grasp and experience the wonders of what Jesus is about to do for him and know the compassion of the son of David. He is tender and kind in his questions and drawing Bartimaeus out. This is mercy. Jesus is pursuing Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? You see, Jesus wants Bartimaeus to diagnose his own depravity, to understand that what is required is a miracle of God. And in asking for it, he is placing his hope, his trust, his faith in Christ, the son of David, the son of God. The blind man said to him, Rabbi, my Lord, my master, let me recover my sight. Before the son of David, for the first time ever in his life, Bartimaeus does not beg for alms. He begs for sight. And Jesus says this in verse 52. And Jesus said to him, okay, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he, Bartimaeus, recovered his sight. Instantly. Right there on the spot, Bartimaeus is healed. Sight recovered, new eyes. Your faith has made you well. This is rich because there's a play on words here, a double entendre, because made well in the Greek, in the original, is sozo, which means saved. Sozo, which, where we derive the word soteriology, saved, salvation. There's dual meaning here. Bartimaeus, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Why? Because the physical dimension here is a window for what's going on inside. The new sight given is an outward expression of what's taking place in Bartimaeus' soul. What was made well that day went deeper than the eye. It reached the heart. Your faith has saved you. Your faith in me has made you well, Bartimaeus. And here's the climax, the crux of the matter. My favorite part, I love this. Jesus says, go your way. Go your own way, Barmes. You're patched up. You're all good and well. 
And you know how Bartimaeus responds? He doesn't just use Jesus and discard him. He doesn't peace out and leave Jesus in the dust. No, he pursues. Those pursued by Christ will eventually pursue him in return. This is the heart of discipleship. What it means to be a follower of Christ. A reflex and response to grace given and the grace giver. And when you come to truly acknowledge the mercy demonstrated to you, you will show it in appreciation for a lifetime. It says in verse 52, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. And he continues to follow. Jesus says, go your own way, Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus responds, you are the way. You're the way, the truth, and the life. Bartimaeus' way is to follow the one who would save, the one who would show mercy. The application is staring at us right in the face. Here it is. You follow what you love. You follow what you love. I know it's not rocket science, but it's that simple for Bartimaeus. And honestly, at the end of the day, it should be that simple for us. You know, many of us may vow to love Jesus. But one of the best indicators of your hearts is the direction of your feet. What you pursue and follow is an outward expression of what you love in here. You know, you can say you love God, but can I generally ask, what's your life about? Is your life all about career, this rat race, how you can line yourself up for the next big promotion or a larger compensation package? Is your life about fun weekends, the best experiences, expensive purchases? Is your life about the prospect of marriage, home ownership, and the American dream? Just maybe a Christian version by sprinkling in some church involvement. Now, are you willing to wake up early for the gym or for work? Willing to stay up late to binge the latest Netflix series or catch up with friends. But somehow, somehow spending time with the Lord is too much, too taxing, too exhausting. You and I can say we love Christ. Are we filling our thoughts, our schedules, our relationships, our very lives with the concerns of this world? And don't get me wrong. These things can be good things. But have they become the greatest? And let me soft pedal a little. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. But perhaps we need to take a closer look as to what we're feeling. Is it really guilt? Or perhaps conviction? And let me be the hardest on myself. I'm not preaching as if I have this all figured out. I struggle too with the trinkets and the lures of this world, with the comfort of financial security, the glow and high of popularity and praise. I'm no different than you guys. But there is no denying this basic truth, this foundational principle that you follow what you love. Look, Bartimaeus' aim in life is not fancy. It is not sophisticated. He pursues and follows Jesus because he loves him. Because Jesus has shown him mercy. 
And that has overwhelmed and captivated Bartimaeus' heart. Friends, is that how we follow Jesus? Do you seek him simply because after it's all said and done, he has saved you? I hope so. I hope you see him with new eyes. I hope you're like Bartimaeus, that you're so mesmerized and arrested by the affection, grace, and loveliness of Christ. It becomes automatic for you. It's only logical to pursue. It's only a natural byproduct to follow after him. And you do so, you continue to do so because this is the heartbeat of the gospel. This is what the good news of Christ is all about. That those pursued by God can't help but pursue him in return. Those who have been saved from much will love their savior much. You see, the gospel salvation, being Christian, isn't just that you're bankrupting your sin and Jesus has come to pay for your sins with his death on the cross, but that you get him. That's once separated, you are reconciled, restored, that you want to be with him. Salvation and discipleship go hand in hand. Christianity isn't a list of do's and don'ts. It's about merciful salvation, producing a joyful discipleship. In practice, who are you? Who are you in this story? Are you blind Bartimaeus in need of mercy? Are you calling out to Jesus, the son of David? Or, or are you telling others who cry out for the son of David to settle down? Are you in the crowd, maybe, a following Christ, but really, you don't know who he is, what he's about. Friends, who do you identify with? You know, there are times when I make Jesus about how many days I can read my Bible in a row, you know, Bible reading streak, how many minutes I've prayed, what I've done at church, what I've done outside of church, and how I've done these things. And these can be great disciplines and metrics, and we should be striving and growing in them. But they are not the end-all, be-all. They are not the truest measure of faith. Yes, the outside can be proof positive of the inside. But look, it can't just be the outside. We're not trying to put up a Christian front or facade. What matters first and foremost is inward. Because... If I'm not careful, suddenly I can find myself lost in the crowd, thinking I'm following Jesus because I'm doing what's right and expected of a good little Christian, because I'm mimicking those around me, other believers, because I'm going through the motions and heading to Jerusalem. And in those moments, I have distorted Christianity to be about me about what I can do, what I can do for him, how I can serve God. I've lost Jesus in the crowd of duty and routine. I've forgotten. I've forgotten that before it's ever about what I can do for Christ, he stops and he says to me, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Is he a hobby, a hot topic to talk about with others, a fire insurance for the afterlife? Is he something to 
distract and occupy your time. Maybe a midweek fix or Sunday mornings. Or is he? Is he the son of David? Is he Jesus, your Lord and Savior? The one who has and continues to be merciful to you. The one who loves you. The one you love and follow. And that's why I love the story of Bartimaeus. Because it reminds me of who I am. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. You're not a grad student, an engineer, a nurse. You're not someone who shows up to praxis or churchgoer. You and I are both blind Bartimaeus. We need to sit with this guy. We need to feel the dusty destitution between our feet. We need to hear Bartimaeus tremble and cry for mercy. We need to watch Bartimaeus leap and lunge for Jesus to place his faith in Christ, a faith so thorough it follows. Friends, we need to be Bartimaeus. Some of you might not know Christ. Maybe you're beaten up, blind by the roadside. And yet tonight, Jesus is walking by. And listen, he will walk by you unless you cry out to him. Call out for mercy. The story continues if you read on in the Gospels. And Jesus walks to Jerusalem to die on the cross for the sins of all who would place their trust and faith in him. To make vile, wretched sinners who are helpless like you and me. And we will be transformed into righteous children of God. Christ came to seek and save the lost. Those who are blind beggars. To call him Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And today he will save you. Your faith, your faith has made you well. The story of Bartimaeus is not a complicated one. It's a story of faith and mercy a discipleship that follows to the very end. Let's pray. God, we are, we are convicted by how we often loft man-made standards upon what you require. But Lord, what you are looking for are not necessarily sacrifices and services and what we can bring to the table, because in reality, what we bring is our sin. What you require is a contrite heart. One who is ready to reach out with open hands and receive your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. Lord, and we pray that you would fill our hearts with gratitude, that we would be in all of Christ. And that would tug upon our heartstrings. Lord, it would captivate us. And therefore, in right response, we would pledge our lives to our Lord and Savior. That it would be our joy and desire to follow after him. And Father, we pray that you would bury your word deep in our hearts. Uh, continue to use it to fashion form us to be more and more like your son because we want to be like him 
when we have experienced his grace, his mercy, and we desire to honor him, to live for him. Continue to be with us as we sing songs that uh, direct our attention towards Christ. Even as we go into small groups, may we be open and honest to share one another's burdens, to sharpen each other, to follow hard after Christ. We know that it is not easy, but we know that uh, it is worth it because we desire to know you and to make you know. We thank you for this time. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.